when you were a kid, um, did your parents ever forget to pick you up at school? Is there anybody here that that, that happened? I mean, you may. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I'm close to the only one, apparently. I don't know what that says, but... Uh, <clears throat> But, you know, they, they wag their finger at you, you know, and they say, make sure that you're at the curb at 3.30 sharp, right? And then 5.30 comes around, and they go, oh, I'm so sorry, <laughs> right? And, and uh, you know, parents, you, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever done that to your kid? <laughs> Good honesty, thank you. That's important. <laughs> but, you know, I grew up in a family of four, and I was the youngest. So you can imagine that, um, you know... I had my fair share of that, but uh, um, the odds weren't very good for me. And, and actually, for me, there were at least a couple times where I missed the school bus, right? But it was on my way home from school instead of going to school. I don't know how that happened. It wasn't intentional, I promise. But, but today we're going to talk about um, the promise of Jesus that he says he will come back for you. He'll come back for you. And, and a lot of people have to, tried to determine the, the time when he would come back or, or when the end of the world w- would occur. I think most recently about the, the Mayan calendar debacle, right? And they said, okay, uh, December 21st, 2012 is the end of the calendar, so therefore it's the end of the world. Oh boy. But we made it through, so I'm excited about that. But, uh, you know, and, and how could you forget Y2K, right? That was, that was quite the disappointment, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, it was all built up and it was supposed to be amazing and, and life-changing and we just started a new day, right? <laughs> Did you hear about the, the group that said that Jesus is coming back May 21st, 2011? Yeah, 2011. Uh, we must have missed it or something, right? Actually, they, they, uh, about a, a year later, after Jesus didn't return and, and after the world didn't end, they kind of sent out this apology letter, like, oh, oops, my bad, you know? And, and this is what they said. They said, we were even so bold as to insist that the Bible guaranteed that Christ would return on May 21st. And then they basically said, but we were wrong, <laughs> But even, uh, you know, if they had asked me, I would have been able to tell them, guess what, you're probably going to be wrong. <laughs> May, uh, May, no, Matthew, Matthew chapter 24 verse 36 says, but of the day and the hour, the time that Christ returns, no one knows. That would have kind of solved the whole thing, wouldn't it? But, but actually, if you go on Wikipedia, there's about 200 entries, 200 uh, instances of people who have said, this is when the world is going to end, this is when Jesus is going to come, and they're all in the past. You know, but, but even besides the actual timing, there's even many details about the end of time that we don't fully know or understand. And even those who focus their study of God's word in this area disagree on what that looks like, what it looks like when Jesus comes back, what, what events will unfold during that time. So why are we talking about the return of Christ in terms of our series 100% guarantee? If we don't have that clarity of all that is going to happen uh, when he comes back. You know, and, and I don't want you to think that, that man, we have no idea. There's, there's no way that God's word kind of gives us uh, some, some perspective 
about what's going to take place. Actually, we can have a, a good idea about what is to come and even some of the details of that time because of what God has revealed in his word. We even looked at some of them in, in base camp uh, this past year. But even though that full, clear picture is often difficult to see, even though we don't uh, necessarily know every little detail, there is one thing that he has promised us with absolute clarity. He will come back for you. John chapter 14, verse 1. Here it is. Here's God's promise to you. He was speaking to his disciples and he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There it is. Right? It's as simple as that. There's no question. There's no debate. Jesus' words are pretty clear. He's coming back for you. Do you ever wonder why he makes such promises? You know, why does he, he obligate himself to certain things? I mean, it's not that he's obligated to us in any way, that he, he's coming to us and saying, okay, uh, you know, I want to make sure that, that I'm, I'm checking in with you. I just want you to know I'm promising you this, Right? He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to tell us anything, does he? But he does. And he has a purpose for that. There's a purpose for the promise. And we're going to look at a couple of those uh, tonight. We're going to look at a couple of his purposes. What he has in store for us. Why he's given us this promise. And the first one is this. He wants to give us peace in the unknown. Look at uh, the, uh, verse 1 in chapter 14. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It says, Don't let your heart be unsettled about the things that you're seeing around you. You know, don't, don't be wondering about what's going to happen. Where's my future lie? He says, This is what I want to tell you. I want to tell you I'm coming back because I don't want uh, you to be afraid. Because I want you to have peace in the middle of the unknown. See, Jesus had been preparing his disciples throughout uh, his whole ministry for the time when he would no longer be walking next to them on this earth. And here, uh, in, in the same conversation, he shared with them about uh, Judas' betrayal. He shared with them about Peter's three denials and about his own death. And in the middle of all that upheaval, upheaval, in the middle of all that uncertainty, in the middle of all that the disciples were trying to take in, and really they didn't, they didn't figure it out. They couldn't understand it. They were just, uh, it was too much for them almost. In the middle of all of that, Jesus gives them this promise. I will come again. He says, count on this. Let this be a constant for you. Let this be a beacon for you. No matter what happens, Trust that this will happen. I will come again. Trust me. And they were in for a, for a whole boatload of uncertainty, right? Over the next uh, uh, few days even, uh, their whole world would be shaken to its core. They would be uh, uh, hiding in a room, uh, seeking just, just, Lord, what just happened, right? They would see the, the death of Christ. They would think that they had lost him forever, right? 
that this was the end of the road, that, that wow, all these things that, that Jesus had been teaching them and sharing with them, all the things that they heard about the, their relationship with God, suddenly it's kind of like, well, he didn't see that coming, did he? And then after his powerful resurrection, can you imagine that? Okay, so here we are, Jesus just died, we have this period of time, we don't know what's going on, then all of a sudden he, he's back again. Wow, that's incredible, right? And everything is back to normal, they said. Well, I mean an amazing normal, right? But they thought, well, we're just going to keep listening to him. We're, he's just going to keep teaching us. And, and as the disciples are listening to Jesus, just like any other day, suddenly he begins to rise off the ground. And he kept going. Can you, can you imagine that? In, in uh, Acts Chapter 1, verse 10, it tells us that they gazed intently into the sky while he was going. So there was Jesus just teaching them and sharing with them and pouring himself into them. And they were going, okay, yep, yep, okay. And then there he goes. What, what, what's happening? Can you imagine the uncertainty that was going on in their lives? And I love this phrase that, that uh, is, is used in other places as well in, in God's word. Go ahead and write these down because they're actually not on the screen, but, but go back and, and look at these and see kind of the, the idea about um, what this word, this idea of gazed intently means. In Luke 4.20, in Luke 22.56, and Acts 10.4. Go back and look at those later, and you'll see kind of, you'll get a better picture of what this, this word means. But, but I love it because it's basically a mixture of surprise, of wide-eyed of jaws on the floor of am I really seeing this is this really happening how do I wrap my mind around this it was that kind of gazing and if you're here today saying wait 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 you're saying that Jesus did what (laughs) you're telling me that he just started levitating right and and he kept on going to heaven you want me to believe that and the disciples would say You're telling me, right? We were there. We saw it. And we still, it just, it's breathtaking. It's jaw-dropping. It's unsettling. What is going on? What is happening? What's our next step? You know, they were saying, we just got him back, right? What in the world are we going to do now? Now he's really gone, right? And then when they needed it the most, they were reminded of this promise in John chapter 14. Acts 1.10 says that um, uh, at the end of that verse, it says, Behold, two men in white clothing, these were messengers of God, these were angels, stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into, into the sky? And they were like, What are you looking at? Why are you gazing like that? Why are your jaws on the floor? He says, This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. They were reminded, they reminded the disciples of the promise of John chapter 14. He had said to them before, and this was a reinforcement, I will come again. I'm not leaving you alone. In Luke chapter 24, 52, it tells us the the change that it made in, in their perspective. You know, as they were gazing up they, they had, I'm sure, this fear and trepidation that came over their lives. 
And then uh, Luke 24, 52 says that they worship the Lord and return to Jerusalem with great joy. Can you imagine that, that transition, that change? And, and it was because they knew that he is coming back. And so they said, wow, God, we praise you. You are amazing. You are mighty. And you have promised us this. We're going forth in joy. We're excited about what you're about to do. We don't even know all of that, what that looks like, but we do know this. You are going to come back for us. The promise of Christ's return gave them certainty in an uncertain world. So what uncertainties are you facing? You know, maybe you would say, that's not how I saw God working. That's not the direction that I saw my life going. What is going on? Why are there so many uncertainties? Lord, would you just give me some direction? Would you just give me some guidance? And so many times he does, right? But he's also saying, look, here is a beacon of hope. You can know no matter what, no matter what may take place in your life, no matter what you don't know, know this, I am coming back for you. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me. You know, whether it's your job or your health or your finances or maybe opportunities to serve in ministry that, that you're thinking about and praying about and you don't know the direction, he says, in the middle of all of that, I'll give you direction, but I also want you to know, in the middle of your uncertainty, know that I am coming back for you. You know, or maybe it's the ridicule of your faith, right? The disciples faced that. They, they actually, uh, most of them faced death because of what they said about Christ. And maybe people are telling you that you should doubt him. You know, they think they know the end of the path that you're on, and they call it foolishness. Say, what are you doing? Why are you living that way? You think these, the, this uh, relationship with your God, you think that, that the way you're living your life really matters? That's foolish. And then there are those that declare that, that this or that may be true about you because of what you believe. They, they call you arrogant or ignorant or silly. <laughs> And he says, be at peace. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. I will reveal truth. I will come again. You can count on it. And as we've been going through this series, this verse keeps on coming up, right? Romans chapter 10, verse 11. The one who believes in him will what? Not be disappointed. The one who believes in him will not be put to shame. At the end of the day, when, when you have your focus on him, when you have your focus on his promises, there's not going to be a time where God goes, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> kind of missed that. I know it affects your life, but he says, have peace. He's given us this promise so that we can have peace in the unknown. But that's not the only uh, purpose for this promise. That's not the only reason why God has said to us, I will return. Why did he share it with us? He also shared it with us to create a longing for home. In John chapter 14, verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Can you imagine that? 
Just, just think about that for, for a second. Jesus in, is involved in making preparations for you. I mean, he created the heavens and the earth, right? He knows how to impress. And he said, I am making a place for you. I am providing. I'm going to make a home for you for eternity. My mother and, and sister-in-law, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law, they came to visit us a little while ago. And do you know when we had to get started getting ready? Like preparing and cleaning up and, and it was about two months before they arrived, right? <laughs> they say, why? I asked the same question, but, but really, we wanted them to feel at home, right? We wanted them to long to come back to the place that we love, right? I don't think that's a challenge with heaven to convince somebody, oh, there's good stuff there. But he wants us to long for that day, to long for that home. He created in us a longing for our true home. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2 says, For indeed, in this house, in, in, the, in our bodies, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. He says, man, I just can't wait. I just can't wait for God to just, to just finish this. For me to, to go in, and be in his presence, I can't wait for that day. I'm longing for it. You can, you can also look in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, and, and write this down and, and read it later. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Hebrews chapter 11 is typically called the hall of faith. It's examples of those who have trusted Christ, who have put their faith in Him. And he says, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, salvation came because they had put their faith in Him. And then at the end of that, in verses 13 through 16, I, I would encourage you to focus on those verses. It just talks about how God, even though they didn't see the end result, even though they didn't see the accomplishment of the promise before their death, they trusted Him and God did something powerful for them. God did something strong. He created in them this desire for home. The promise of Christ's return has created a, a longing in the believer for an eternal home. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it with anticipation. And why? Why? It, uh, what is it that we're longing for? What is it that, that our, our lives are seeking? What is it that that God has, has told us to look forward to. We long to see Christ face to face. He says, one day you will see me face to face with clarity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says, for now, at, at this point in time, for this time in our lives, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. You know, the, the things that we see in life, the, the, uh, even our relationship with God, you know, uh, God has revealed himself to us, but there are so many times where I, I don't know all of what God is doing. I don't know all the ways of my God. I don't know why he's doing this or that in my life, but I'm going to trust him for it now, right? But he says, then one day, at another point, in eternity, we shall see face to face. Says, There's going to be a day where we will know him fully and completely. Does that blow you away? I mean, especially as believers living today, because our faith is based 
on the testimony of those who have come before us, right? It's based on the Spirit who dwells within us. We trust, but there are still things that we don't know. Uh, Maybe even questions that we have about God. We have glimpses of who He really is. But one day, when Christ returns, when we begin eternity with Him, we will see Him face to face. You know, I think about Moses, who had just a glimpse of God as he received the law from God in in Exodus 34. And, And his face literally glowed. No, it literally glowed because he had been in the presence of God. You knew he had been in God's presence. And I think about, you know, do our faces look like we've been in the presence of God? Even more, imagine when we see him face to face. He's preparing us for that. And He's preparing that for us. Not only will we see Him face to face, but I will be changed. That's why I long for His return. That totally His idea that will come into perfection. No longer is it something that I'm striving for, that I'm seeking for, that I'm saying, God, would you do this work in my life? Would you, would you uh, give me a heart that seeks after you? Lord, I want to seek after you with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. It's going to be something that is completed, something that is done. We talked about that, that future sanctification, right? That future time where God has, will rid us completely of our sin. And I can't wait. Do you long for that day? In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our home is, Paul says, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for His return. We're waiting for Him to come back, our Savior. Verse 21 says, Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity, with the body of his glory. He will change me to look like him. I long for that day. It's the day that not only I will be made right, but where everything will be made right. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, in the place that he has for us, the one that he promised in in John 14, it says this, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Are you looking forward to that day where he sets all things right? Do you wonder why we yearn, why we long for Jesus to fulfill this promise? Okay, Lord, truly, truly come quickly. Lord, I struggle in my life. I see the struggle around me. I desire to see it made right. And one day you will do that. Lord, you've put this desire, you've created a longing inside of me for that day. And maybe you would say, wait a second. 
You know, the, the promise that he made, the, the one that, that is intended to bring peace, that is uh, leaving this longing in my heart, heart, he made this promise almost 2,000 years ago. Why hasn't it been fulfilled? Why hasn't he come through? Doesn't he know what kind of mess this world is in, right? Doesn't he know the struggles that we're facing? Doesn't he know the, the things that are going on that we would just say, God, would you make them right? There's another purpose for the promise. Another reason that he's given us this promise of his return in advance. And it's so that we would live with urgency. John 14, verse 3 says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I have to ask, who is this promise for, right? We talked about last week and the weeks before that, these promises are for those who are in Him, those who have trusted Christ. And this verse qualifies this week's promise as well. Those who trust Him, those who can call God Father, He promised, I will receive you. But His desire in giving us this promise in advance is to push us forward in sharing the good news with others who have yet to trust Him. Because they don't have this confidence. They don't yet have this peace. I want you to turn to, to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, because I want you to read it for yourself. If you haven't yet trusted Christ, he may be waiting for you. <laughs> he just might be delaying his return and the fulfillment of this promise because he wants you to be a part of it. Look at Second Peter uh, 3, verse 9. Actually, Peter was addressing a challenge that had been made against those who were anticipating the return of Christ. They, uh, there were those, you can see it in verse 4, uh, that said, where is the promise of his coming? That so you said he was coming back, where is he? For since the fathers fell asleep, since, since those who, who uh, um, really uh, God used to start the church fell asleep or, or actually died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They say nothing's changed and nothing will. Give me a break. This promise that you're talking about, foolishness it hasn't happened it's not gonna happen throw it away but the truth is he is coming and when jesus comes judgment comes as well and isn't that the accusation that is made against god isn't it all these years, all this evil, why haven't you done anything about it, God? Why haven't you stepped in? Why did you let them get away with it? Why didn't you do something about it? And really, that's what we all want, right? That's what we all beg God for. Would you punish evil? Would you, would you do something, God? Don't you see? And many times we don't recognize that the evil that we want punished and won't stand for actually lives inside of us. And Peter, in his response, this is what he says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. 
says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. The Lord is not uh, just waiting and waiting and just being like, well, uh, I got a little more time before I go. I'll take a nap, right? It says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. He is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In verse 15, in the beginning of that verse, it says, regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Because when you look at why he hasn't come, when you look at why he is being patient with us, and why he wants to to, to come and make all things right, but he's saying, I'm going to wait. He says, regard that as your salvation. Take that opportunity. You know, it should drive those who know Christ to live with an urgency. To live knowing one day he will come back. Does my neighbor know? Does my friend know? Does my coworker know? Does the person that I just passed on the street, do they know that he's returning? And do they know that they can be found in him? That they can have this promise, that this promise can be true for their lives? Do they know that? Jesus has entrusted us with a message that he wants everyone to hear. In fact, right before he lifted off the ground, right, right before that, that gaze of the disciples, the disciples probably said, wait, wait, what did he say? What did he, no, before he went up, what did he say? What was it? Didn't somebody write it down? <laughs> and we have a record of it. This is what Jesus said. You can see it in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and, and Acts 1, verse 8. He says, go, be my witnesses. Tell others about what I've done for them. Tell others what I've done for you. Go! (laughs) We're to live with an urgency knowing that Jesus could come at any time. And what I love is that Jesus uh, promised about preparing a place. He says there are many rooms. Some translations say there are many mansions, right? He says, listen, He's saying, there is plenty of room for you. There's an opportunity for you to make the choice to trust me. I want to ask you, is he waiting for you today? Is he holding back his judgment so that you can trust him? You know, a few weeks ago I told you that we were doing some work on our basement. We're still doing that work <laughs> on our basement. <laughs> and actually, my dad is doing most of it. And, and I'm trying to help out and, and do the things that I can do. But he tries to leave me with some tasks while he's gone that he thinks that I can handle. <laughs> and he says, I'm coming back, and here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to accomplish. Imagine if on his return... The task wasn't even attempted. And I said, oh, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, 
I didn't get to it. It wasn't really that important to me, right? And okay, it's, it's a basement. It's not like super important. But think about it in terms of someone's eternity. It is important. And he has given us, God has given us a task. You know, we don't know when this promise will be fulfilled. And there's a reason, there's a purpose that he's given it to us in advance so we can look forward to that day, so we can long for that home, so that in the middle of our circumstances we can have peace, and so that we can share with others. It will drive us forward to live with urgency. He's given us a task. The question is, will you join me? Can we work together? Will you join him? Can we work together to fulfill the task that he's given us? Luke chapter 10, verse 2 says, And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful. He says, We're in season here. There are people who are seeking after God. There are people who want to know more about the Lord. He says, But the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech, ask, seek the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. Would you be a laborer in his harvest? Would you be the one who brings good news to someone who desperately needs it? Will you be a laborer in his harvest as you live with a longing to see his promise fulfilled? He will come back for you. Father, we come before you today And Lord, we see this promise that you've given to us. And we are so grateful. Lord, it impacts today. It impacts where I am. It impacts the perspective that I have. Lord, in the middle of the craziness of my life, in the middle of the uncertainty of my life, you have given me a road marker. You have given me something to look forward to. You have given me your return as a promise. You are coming back for me. Lord, I thank you for giving us that promise because it does something in our heart. It tells us that we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. That is our home. That's what you've created us for. And we are longing to be there with you. But Lord, I pray I pray that you would wait just a little bit longer so that my neighbors, so that my friends, so that the people I cross paths with, so that they can experience your grace and not your judgment. Lord, you've given us a task. Help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.